Welcome to Dreams in Dirt, a podcast focusing on reptiles, repeticulture, and reptile-related art. This is episode one. I'm Stuart, and this is Angela. Hi. And we're going to be your hosts. Hi, I'm Angela. I've been keeping reptiles for over 20 years, and I'm a sculptor by training. And over the past few years, I've decided to combine these two by focusing on reptile breeding and art. Well, Angela got me interested in reptiles, and I married her. Not necessarily in that order. So, we hope to release a new podcast that every two weeks. I listen to a lot of reptile-related podcasts, and most of them seem to be focused on a particular species. Usually leopard geckos or ball pythons, I understand. We want to focus more generally on reptile keeping and uh, touch on a variety of species. And today we'll be talking about step runners. So, what are we talking about now? Uh, now step runners. Well, did we want to talk about where we recently went? Alright, so... This past weekend, we were in Atlanta. Uh, we went down for Repticon Atlanta, which we weren't vending this weekend. We vended the previous two weekends and decided to take the week off, which we have the weekend off, I guess, which we, of course, then spent at a reptile show. Uh, we also went down to Zoo Atlanta, which we've never been to before. Yeah. Saw some tanuki. That was cool. Tanuki, yes. Raccoon dog. Mm-hmm. Those are not reptiles. No, they are not. Uh, I guess we shouldn't talk about that. I, I mean, I think it's all right. Well, we also saw Fiji water. That's pretty the impressive. F- Moto dragon. Because we've never seen a Komodo dragon before. Okay, sure. We've seen some Komodo dragons. But I guess I've never seen a Fiji water before. Have you? Uh, not that I remember. I don't. I don't think so. No, yeah. I think that's my first Fiji water. So Zoo Atlanta has a new reptile house. It has some goofy name, like Scaly Slimy Spectacular or something. Is that it? Yeah, it was Scaly Slimy Spectacular. Which, I'm not sure how I feel about the name, but it was a nice facility. Well, I mean, they had amphibians too. It's got kind of a slimy texture issue. Well, fair enough, I, but, you know, it does feed into the... But yeah. snakes being slimy thing. But snakes aren't slimy. I know. I mean, I guess... You know, if they're aquatic snakes, they might have some slimy stuff that gets on them. Okay, so like barry tentacle snakes and elephant truck snakes. You know, the occasional anaconda, maybe. Yeah. So, you know, it was a really nice facility. Uh, they had a lot of turtles and tortoises. They, they did. They had uh, some really unusual tortoises, too. Like, impressed tortoises, uh, a lot of Asian box turtle type thing. Um, yeah, and uh, some big tortoises. They didn't have uh, any glops, but they had Goldacras. Uh, I didn't see any Sulcatas there, or yeah, these nice tortoises, or any of the... Really, they didn't have uh, many species of Reptiles that are commonly kept in captivity. Uh, you didn't see ball pythons. Uh, leopard gecko. They did have an, an agrimonyu, uh, which is an unusual type of leopard gecko. They're, they're very large. They look like a giant leopard gecko, um, but not even a giant, like just the giant morph of a leopard gecko. Being the normal agrimonyu. Yeah, that would be the normal size for them. But. So that was kind of neat. Um, I mean, 
I know people are breeding those, but I haven't actually seen them before. No, neither do I. I, I guess what was probably the you know, most commonly kept animal that they had. Maybe the anacondas? <laughs> they, they did have and, a couple of little anacondas. Yeah. Or maybe the green tree monitor. They had a green tree monitor. Yeah, not, again, not incredibly commonly kept, but they, they didn't have much in the way of... Um, no, they, in the Georgia section, they had a rat snake. Oh, that's true, they did. They, well, actually, they had a couple of king snakes, too. Did they? Yeah. Okay. So commonly kept things native to Georgia. Fair enough. Although I think we discovered that we were a bit jaded uh, with respect to you know, reptile assonances when we went in there. You know, we walked into the anaconda section and I looked at the anacondas and yeah, they, they weren't tiny. They were like 10 feet long or so. And Really? I think they were more like eight. I don't know. I'm not a great judge of length. But, yeah, it's... They, uh, they were big snakes. I mean, they weren't they weren't small snakes, but they were small for anac green anacondas, at least. Fair um, I mean, I, I think they'd probably be you know, respectable size for yellow, if not, you know, but not large. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one of the guys in our local herp club keeps and breeds anacondas, and has, you know, a few in the 15-foot range um, who are still young and not huge. So in walking into this area, you know, I was like, oh, those are pretty small anacondas. And the person behind me walked in and was, these are huge snakes. And it, it was kind of funny. I, oh, wait, actually, I did remember they, they had a black throat monitor. Oh, yes, they did have a black throat monitor. Uh, that might be the most common one. At least as far as lizards go, that's probably the most commonly kept lizard that they had, which is I find really strange. Do you think the blackbirds more commonly kept than the green dream monitor? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, I see a lot more green dream monitors at shows and such. Only in the last like, year or so. That's true. Mm -hmm. Certainly a lot more kept breeding of tree monitors. But I think people have been keeping blackbirds more commonly for longer. I don't know. Fair enough. They're pretty impressive. That was one of the few monitors that they actually had there. It was, you know, they had the black throat. They had the green tree monitor. They had the komodo dragon. Uh, they had a uh, Merton's water monitor. Oh right, that was cool. I yeah. hadn't realized that those are as small as they were. Uh, yeah, no, like two, three, five pounds. Um, they were cute. They really were. They were kind of like giant ackies. Uh, we do keep ackies, so mm -hmm. you'll yeah. probably hear us talking about ackies. Uh, yeah, actually we do keep it. We have five eggs in the incubator at the moment. Which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, those should hatch out probably beginning of September. Mm -hmm. So uh -oh. what we don't have in the incubator, however, are steprunner eggs. No, we, we do not have any stepbrunner eggs. Uh, we do have stepbrunners. Oh, yes. And they have laid eggs. Mm -hmm. They have laid a lot of eggs. They have laid hundreds of eggs, but none of them are fertile. So we've been keeping stepbrunners for, what? Three years? Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Yeah, so much for 
easy to breed beginner reptile that was very accurate description of these like difficult little lacertas. Right, so we should probably explain what step runners are for people who don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. Step runners are small lizards, uh, smaller than leopard geckos. Yeah, 20, 30 grams, uh, about four or five inches long. 20, 30 grams would be a really big step runner, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be a pretty good one. I mean, most of our females are probably more in what the. The 20 range, 20 grams. That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. um, and they're Lacertas, uh, which is a family of lizard that is largely in you know Europe, Africa, that area. Yeah, like the, those are what is societally thought of as a lizard. They're the true lizards. Um, the one that you probably know is the jeweled lizarda, or maybe like the long-tailed grass lizards that you've seen over at PetSmart. Uh, those are the two most commonly kept in captivity. Uh, some of the other Timonians, which are the green lizards, like the jeweled lizarda, are also kept, but uh, they're a bit rarer. I'd say step runners may be actually eclipsing those two these days, they're at least... Uh, they were for a little while, yeah. but they were being imported pretty heavily. Yeah, they were introduced to the hobby very recently, uh, in, what, 2011 or so? That seems about right. And became very popular very quickly. Well, they were promoted pretty heavily through, like, Reptiles Magazine and a couple of other sources. Uh, and we saw some, you know, a couple years later, thought they were interesting, picked a few up. They're adorable. They are really, really cute. Uh, one of the cool things about them is that they are social lizards. Mm -hmm. They're extremely social, and they uh, actually can even keep males together. Uh, they seem to do really well in large colonies. Uh, the one place that has managed to have a little bit of success breeding them keeps them actually in five. 10 groups, so 5 males, 10 females. And that's been pretty successful for them. They, they've had some fertilizer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the frustrating things about, or the most frustrating thing about step runners is that we haven't really been able to figure out how to breed them. Uh, I've heard anecdotes about, you know, people easily breeding these step runners. I suspect that most of those were females that were brought over and imported uh, gravid? That is what I've heard, that when they are imported and are gravid at the time, then the eggs will incubate successfully and you will get some baby step runners. Um, sometimes they'll even incubate inside the tanks, but then after that first year when they've uh, run out of their stored sperm, nothing. Yeah, it's just uh, all slugs after that. Uh, and a lot of slugs too, they, uh, they're pretty prolific. How large are clutches usually? Uh, 8 to 12, sometimes 16. How big are those eggs? About the size of jelly belly jelly beans. Little tiny jelly beans, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's also probably why we've had so much female mortality. The males do really well in captivity. I haven't had problems with them dying off, but the females, uh, they can look great and be very robust looking. Uh, very active, and then they just drop dead the next day. Yeah, and from stories we've heard from other stepbrother keepers, that's not really unusual. They've had uh, significantly greater longevity with their males than females. 
I'm not sure if that's the natural state of things. Maybe they're just shorter lived. Uh, there, are, there are several other pulsarges in their genus, Aramaeus, uh, that only live two years on average. Uh, but uh, what I've been told on step runners is eight to ten. I haven't uh, had them long enough to prove that. But uh, I do have a male that's probably at least three years old. So uh, I guess they do live a bit longer than the two year Aramaeus. Yeah, although. If we like look at what's grouped in Aramaeus, there are also live bearers alongside the egg, egg layers. So, I, I I have a feeling that that uh, it's one of those junk genuses that they just kind of throw little brown lizards. It's into. small and brown, and it has spots. Aramaeus. <laughs> so, one of the cool things about step runners, besides being social, is that they are very cold weather lizards. Uh, they're native to areas like in Central Asia um, and you know East Europe, Europe, Kazakhstan, China, Russia, that sort of Ukraine. Yeah, actually, when I was looking into where they live, uh, some of the specific parks that had uh, step runners also had snow leopards. So very cold. They also occur with Russian tortoises, too. Uh, they live in kind of the same habitat as, as Russian tortoises. So we decided to take some care cues from Russian tortoise care? Mm -hmm. Which is why our stepbrunners spent uh, their winter in the CRISPR drawer. Of our refrigerator, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Which they, they did quite well with. Uh, they were actually still moving around and kind of active in the CRISPR drawer. It was about 34 degrees in there. Uh, which, you know made us wonder if we should go even lower, but that... Would be below freezing, yes. And that makes us even nervous. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned that step runners are social. Uh, oh, yeah, and actually, like, you get some really interesting behavior. They do uh, tail vibrating at each other, uh, and uh, also you'll get one that'll sit out as, like, a sentinel um, while the others are in the burrow or doing other activities. I've also seen them go off in pairs to patrol the tank, which is pretty cool. But the sentinel and the patrols are different roles. Generally, yeah. The sentinel usually just stays like right up on the highest point in, or on the basking spot. Um, and they just kind of look out and the other ones will wander around and then they'll do little tail twitches at each other sometimes. Yeah. It's pretty fun to watch. Uh, they also like to pile on top of each other, so when they're basking you'll get these like piles of four or five step runners in a little group. Um, I've even seen like all of them at once. Uh, yeah. It's pretty, pretty adorable. It doesn't seem like it's a dominance thing. No, no, it seems like just kind of a social thing. Uh, they did it a lot more during the early spring which would, and what should have been their mating season. Um, not that they mated as far as I can tell. Maybe it was some sort of cuddle pile? I guess, yeah, kind of a cuddle pile. Is adorable. They do, I think, practice being cute. They like to you know, stick their little heads out of holes and tubes and things. And mm -hmm. you know. Oh, and, and in groups sometimes, too. You get like two or three of them sticking their heads out of a tube. Um, they also do the thing where they like backfill their burrows at night, so they'll scare the crap out of you when you. Uh, go in there to look for them and you can't find a burrow at all that they've gone into because they actually like collapsed to the opening. 
but they're, they're fine in there. Uh, what about step runner care? I mean, we already talked a little bit about grumation. Yeah, that also, I would be very careful on the internet with what sources you go with. A lot of the care sheets say that they are very dry weather, desert creatures, which is not exactly accurate. There are a lot of pictures on sand because they're on a beach or in like kind of a wetland area. Um, they actually seem to live on the shores of uh, lakes with a little bit of salt content. Yeah, I have a s sneaking suspicion, although we haven't proved it, that they actually do better with, you know, kind of a high saline environment. We have tried giving them a little bit of salt water uh, alongside their normal water in their tank. And yeah, I'd say the results are inconclusive. For right. That. I, I said it was a suspi suspicion. Mm -hmm. Another thing that did help with the female mortality, though, is uh, they're, they're not insectivores. Uh, I mean, they are they eat insects, and they should have some insects, but they also, insects. they also eat plants. Yes. Uh, most of the care sheets that we've seen have not referred to them as omnivorous at all. Nope, but they, they very much are. Uh, after I watched the meat succulent and talked to a couple of other people, it seems like they should definitely be getting a good portion of greens as part of their diet. Yeah, we're not really sure what's best for them. Um, we've been kind of, you know, going by uh, Russian tortoise mm -hmm. diet lists just because we know that's some of the same things that they have in their environment. Yeah, I don't know if they're exactly in the same microhabitat as the Russian tortoises, but at least we wouldn't they're be that likely. In, in at least the, the same general area. And I guess we've also been looking at care sheets for other lizardas. Oh yeah, and other Arameas too. Uh, there's a guy that uh, does the uh, Arameas Preslowski that gave me a couple of tips. Is he? Uh, on uh, lizard keepers. Alright, one of the Facebook groups? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Facebook groups are great for looking into reptile info. Uh, you can often find a lot of helpful people on some of the more specific animal forums. Well, not forums, uh, Facebook groups. So a lot of people think that step runners, you know, make great pets. They're really cute, but we have found that they're kind of hard to take care of. We've also found that at least most of ours don't really like handling. They are easy to handle. Oh yeah, they, they freeze in fear when you go towards them, uh, just as they would as a predatory bird is passing, and then they'll tremble in your hand. Uh, and sit very still. Sit very still, um, but they're hyperventilating and in constant panic the entire time. I did have one that would attack me occasionally, uh, that would actually bite and be a little nasty, but uh, that one was particularly brave. She, she was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, we do have a couple that don't seem quite as scared as others uh, mm -hmm. when you pick them up. Well, I mean, they, they still don't want to be picked up. No, but... But there are some that won't immediately dart away when I, like, look at the tank. And I can, you know, hand-feed them mealworms, but uh, they, they don't really want to... Uh, they do like food. They, oh, they do like food, yes. Uh, you can bribe them. And they actually, as far as food, too, they like uh, really little tiny bits of food, too, like... They would sit there and eat the springtails out of the uh, bioactive substrate, and uh, they'll, they'll eat fruit flies and little uh, rice grain beetles and that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, they'll, they'll eat larger prey too. I actually had a couple of them like team up on a big dubia that was still in their tank, 
right. giving them it when give it giving it to them when it was a small dubia. Oh yeah, no, it had been a small dubia, but it, it lost it and it had gotten to be a larger dubia over time. Um, probably also eating the vegetables that they get, and then they uh, they kind of both were pulling it apart and eating it. So. Well, you did say that they were social. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, you don't really think of lizards as pack hunters, but... Well, I don't know that I'd call them pack hunters, but, I mean... Opportunistically, pack hunters. Sure, yeah. They'll, they'll certainly pull food out of each other's mouths. Well, you know, it tastes better when... When it's been in someone else's mouth. I guess. I, I guess. If you're a well, lizard. Yeah. I mean, if you ask our jeweled lizards, that's definitely true. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or the Ackies. Mm-hmm. They seem to really like food that has been in the other Aki or Lizard's mouth. Yeah. So, in summary, Stepbrothers. I would call them more of an intermediate to advanced Lizard. Probably best to have a little bit of Lizard experience. You certainly want to have kept bioactive before because they're going to want about six inches of decent substrate. They do like to burrow. Oh yeah, they love to build elaborate burrow systems. What? type of sand soil mix do you generally use? I've been doing a 50-50 mix, so 50% clay sand and 50% topsoil, and I do it like 6 to 8 inches or so. They're they're pretty small, so they don't need a huge tank. Uh, it depends how many of them you have. Like if you have a larger colony, you might want a 40 breeder for like a uh, group of a dozen or so. You could keep 4 or 5 in a 20 long though. Oh, they need a lot of UV light. They are Lucertas. They are Lucertas. Hence um, the, yeah, probably good to keep Lucertas, have kept Lucertas before. Mm-hmm. See, what, care isn't too different than a jeweled Lucerta. I mean, I'd give them more burrowing space, and they're a lot more social, but, and a lot smaller. They're, they're tiny. They're about 20 grams, so it's like less than an ounce. Cute. Not for everyone. No, I, I mean... They're a great watch me lizard. They do a lot of entertaining stuff. They do not want to be your friend. They don't want to be handled. They kind of want to. I mean, I, I have heard, you know, anecdotal evidence of people who have friendly stepbrenners. I'm not sure if this is them misinterpreting the stepbrenners freezing or they have stepbrenners that were captive hatched and maybe ours aren't. Although I believe most of ours were if not all of them. Quite a few were. I don't know about some of the older ones. That's fair enough. I, I do have a few imported stepbrunners, uh, but we did raise some from very, very small stepbrunners. Yeah. So, I guess it's possible that some of the more, you know, captive-raised stepbrunners were socialized when they were very small and, you know, a bit more friendly with people, particularly uh, if they were... Think- I imagine also if they were separated from other stepbrothers early on, they may have bonded a little bit more with people since they are social. I guess that's that's possible. I really don't know. That might be. And I mean, not that we can say for certain that they're social, but at least scientifically, they, they do they, like to hang out together a lot. They, they interact with each other socially. I'm not sure what the definition there is other than that. Fair enough. So if you have any questions about stepbrothers, please feel free to... Shoot us an email at dreamsanddirt at gmail.com, and we will be happy to answer them in a future episode if we can. Enough about stepbrothers for now. Uh, what else has been going on in the reptile world? 
I guess the, the big thing is that uh, in Florida, they're changing the venomous rules. Uh, Florida had a couple of recent problems with uh, escaped venomous snakes from keepers that weren't keeping them by the Florida, the new Florida regulations. Florida had problems with escaped snakes. Okay, fair enough. Although these were, you know, cobras or some other venomous snake. It doesn't actually say here what it was. Okay, so what's going on? So they were working with US ARC and VRTAG, um, which is the Venomous Repel Technical Assistance Group, to create new venomous standards. But now it looks like the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is uh, putting out a survey to get public opinion. Um, we can include some links to the survey with the posting of this uh, podcast. That's probably a good idea because I think the general public opinion on snakes um, not going to yield great results. No, no, definitely not. Particularly venomous snakes. Although the deadline is coming up really soon. It's uh, July 27th, so likely by the time you're hearing this, it's probably going to have already passed. But if it isn't, please respond. Yes. So the survey link is www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash vr dash rule. And it's a really short survey, about six questions. These would apply both to personal keepers as well as larger facilities like Venom Labs. Do we have any idea as to like what sort of rule changes they're considering? Possibly an outright ban or strict regulations, even though the, uh, the regulations in Florida have become quite strict recently. Isn't Florida home to a lot of Venom Labs? It is. So that would shut down a lot of jobs. And shut down a lot of jobs and restrict a lot of important research, mm -hmm. presumably. Yes. What else is going on? Well, we also have a uh, person in Merrimack, Michigan found a uh, dead tegu that they mistook for an alligator. A dead tegu that they mistook for an alligator, was it like decomposed or? No, no, it was just a tegu. It was black and white tegu. Kind so of. they mistook it for a black and white alligator? Apparently a black and white spotty alligator. Uh, I've got some pictures of it here. Yeah, that looks like a tegu. Yeah, so it's a tegu. We have one in the other room. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a black and white than ours. He's kind of a blue mix, but... Uh, how big a tegu was this? Oh, it looks like it was about three feet. They, they don't say in the article. Um, looks like the zoo was finally able to identify for it, identify it for them, but uh, the... Uh, Apparently the police force and uh, other onlookers were not able to identify tegu. I guess there aren't that many tegus in Michigan, maybe? Maybe. One that I've got is that the newly discovered silver boa is quite endangered. Uh, so the silver boa was discovered when? It was uh, actually discovered very, very recently, just this year, by a uh, local to Asheville, uh, Graham Reynolds. Yeah, we're, we should note that we're located in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. and so that was a little bit of a big deal here. But it looks like they're uh, incredibly rare. Uh, they're only found in a small part of Conception Island in the Bahamas, just looking at uh, perhaps a, a total population of just a, maybe a couple thousand individuals. Is their habitat threatened or...? It's actually part of a national park, so Good. They, they should be more or less okay. Glad to hear that. Nice to get some good news that's not about banning snakes or dead tegus. Ah. <laughs>
That's, yeah. Well, we're moving on to uh, less horrible news. So, uh, recently they found a very, very early uh, relative of the uh, turtles. It was called uh, Enodosaurus. I probably butchered that. Enodosaurus? Did you say Enodosaurus? Enodosaurus, maybe? Enodosaurus. So, this, this is a uh, paleontologist? Yeah. Found this? Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, this doesn't say who found it. It's uh, not a shelled animal. It uh, just has very large ribs. Um, so it's the, the point before turtles' shells became an external feature. Um, much earlier than turtles, which make it incredibly old. Um, and yeah, turtles have yes. been around for a long time, haven't they? Mm-hmm. They are actually speculating that rather than as a protective measure, it was the shell, or I'm sorry, the uh, rib, enlarged ribs developed as a way to help it burrow. How so would enlarged ribs help something burrow? Better protection for the organs, for collapsing tunnels and such. So it was protective, just not against predators. Yeah, pr protective against burrows. <laughs> Protecting you from the dirt. Uh-huh. Ribs. So I guess, what, this year now we've had with paleontology, turtles developed via burrowing, but snakes didn't? Oh, snakes didn't develop via burrowing. I missed that one. Oh, they, uh, they were speculating that that uh, very short-limbed snake was actually aquatic, the, uh, the snake with the vestigial limbs. Okay. Um, so they think that it might have developed as an aquatic feature. Streamlining for swimming? Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I hadn't considered that, and then they and then went back to land. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we do want to do in this podcast is cover new species that are discovered. Mm -hmm. um, do we have any this week? We do. Uh, they're both uh, species that were divided off of an existing species this so week. So not something that's newly discovered. Well, newly discovered as far as it being a species. So they are just cutting the piece of Yes, okay. that's how that's going. Um, the first one that we've got is a new palm viper. Uh, it is going to be the Talamanican palm viper. So what makes this palm viper different from other palm vipers? Well, it looks just like a black speckled palm viper, but apparently it's genetically different. Although it has very similar venom and is probably really, really closely related to the black speckled palm vipers. But are they in the not. same area? Uh, they are on different mountain, very uh, higher elevation palm viper, so they're geographically isolated, the populations, or at least that's what they're speculating at the moment. So they think they speciated? Yeah. They, um, or they're claiming that they speciated? They do feel that they are different enough to have speciated. All right. But so being snakes, they can probably still interbreed. Probably, yes. So if you're keeping black speckled palm vipers, you may want to have a genetic test done to see if you're actually keeping this other viper. Right. Um, and then the other one is that they uh, have created yet another type of indigo snake, the Florida Gulf Coast. They have created it. Well, okay, they didn't create it, but uh, they, they found that the there's... Uh, they had divided it into the eastern and the western indigo snake. And on the eastern indigo snake, the Gulf Coast version can be Drymarcone cobel basilis. Cobel oh, right, that's a uh, mouthful. Or Drymarcone cobel basilis. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's Latin. 
I'm gonna butcher Latin names. I'm sorry for that. That's part of the dictionary value. Uh huh. Yeah. Dyslexia plus Latin names. Fun times. But uh, this one has seven infralabial scales. As opposed to. Doesn't say. But this <laughs> one has seven. Well, <laughs> if you have seven, you get declared a new species. Hey, you know. Some of the leopard gecko subspecies, it's like the length of the number of scales on one of their toes. I'm not, I mean, those are still held up, too. But we're not talking about leopard geckos. We are not, no. At least not today. No? I don't know. Well, I mean, we might talk about leopard geckos today. I think we're talking about leopard geckos. We have suddenly started talking about leopard geckos. So, we do have leopard gecko eggs in the incubator. We do. We, Not very many. No, they started really late this year. Uh, I guess a lot of other people have late years this year with leopard geckos. It's been an early year. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually pretty excited that some of the leopard geckos in our Afghanicus project that we're, that we'll talk about it some other time, um, that we hatched out a couple of years ago, uh, are looking graphic now. So... We'll see what kind of babies they produce, I hope. Oh, and, and the white and yellow one, too. It's the white and yellows. Yeah, he finally figured it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had a problem where he was backwards. I mean, he was really enthusiastic about mating with their head. But <laughs> yeah. I think he finally worked out that he needed to turn around. Not a genius. Real sweet. Really sweet gecko. Oh, yeah. He's Not so smart. Awesome. In addition to the leopard gecko eggs, we also hatched out our first batch of hognose snakes this year, mm -hmm. uh, western hognose. Yeah, actually they're my first snakes at all, in general. Well, I mean, not, not that I've capped, I've had snakes a long time, but the first ones that I've ever hatched out. Right. Um, I only started breeding a few years ago. We started with lizards and then decided yes. to branch out into the western hognose. Yeah, uh, they've been very rewarding to work with, too. A lot of really cute behaviors. Yeah, they're fun. Mm -hmm. We did uh, take some baby snakes to a couple of recent reptile shows. Uh, we've been doing reptile shows, uh, primarily Repticons, but some others as well, mm -hmm. uh, for the last year or so. Uh, we've been mostly taking art, but when we have animals, we'll take them and hopefully we'll transition to you know, roughly half and half hardened animals. And we took uh, some baby hognose to Repticon Columbia and Repticon Asheville, or Rep Day Asheville actually. It's on one of their one day shows, which was nice because it was down the street from us. Um, it's like a five minute drive. As opposed to the two hour drive that is Columbia, South Carolina, which is still not too bad. No, also not bad. I mean, and tell it further just to go to Atlanta. Yeah, so Repticon Columbia is one of the largest Repticon shows in the southeast, uh, primarily I think because it's the only one that allows venomous snakes. Don't they have the fire and ice show? Do fire shows include venomous snakes? Or they I just, really don't know. Are they just fire because of a theme? Why is, does fire mean venom? I, I would have thought that fire meant venom. Because it's hot? Mm -hmm, because they're hot snakes. Yeah. Well, but we can look that up. We can. But not now. So the Columbia show was a good bit of fun. Um, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, they had. They actually had a coastal taipan. That was pretty impressive. The second most venomous land snake in the world. Yeah, after the inland taipan. Yeah, not a snake I want to keep. Nope. nope. <laughs> not uh, at all. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I am good not keeping any taipans. It's not even one that I particularly want to play with. No. Maybe I'll play with the cobra, but... Well, you don't want to play with the cobra. Okay, fair enough. You'll handle a cobra if you need to. With a hook. Well, yeah. Okay. Play with in the I'm going to clean snake poop sense. <laughs> Live in the dream. <laughs> After the Columbia Repticon, there was also a benefit auction for the Texas Rattlesnake Festival. That's the, you know... That's the no-kill. Their anti-roundup. Uh, educational event. Mm -hmm. And we managed to get through that without acquiring a crested gecko. I think that's the first auction uh, in about a year now that we haven't acquired a crested gecko in. Why do we buy crested geckos exclusively at auctions? They're cute. They are cute. Um, for some reason, they are always really irresistible at auctions. I guess. Or maybe no one else wants them, so we win. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we do only have, like, two crested geckos, but we got them both at auctions. Those are, and we've only been at three auctions in the past year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never thought I'd be into crested geckos. Oh, it's an camp leopard gecko. But I, I don't really think it's a competition. Mm, probably not. I mean, you just feel like it's one? Maybe. Just somewhere deep in my heart. Because you've been working with leopard geckos since before crested geckos came on the scene, and they you felt the threatened by them, perhaps? Well, there were crested geckos. There were little brown geckos that, like, you never saw. And now they're Pokemon? And they're Yeah, now they're Pokemon. Now they're bright orange and red and spotted and crazy. So the week after Repticon in Columbia, we had Reptidae Ashell. Mm -hmm. um, and that was nice. It's you know a very small show. You know we knew a lot of the people there, and our lo local herp club had a group. Also, the Winston Salem Rescue CCSB they had a group. They had a booth there, and uh, there was a herp club from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, so that was neat. Uh, plus, you know, some of the vendors that we know. We also managed to rehome a pair of really sweet gray plus yellow rat snakes. Uh, they were hybrids. Yeah, a friend of ours who runs a nature center needed to rehome them because apparently they were biting children. They were the sweetest rat snakes I've ever met. I, I don't know what these children did to these rat snakes. I suspect it was percussive. Mm -hmm. That was the second time that we've been to Reptidae Asheville, despite it being the fourth scheduled Reptidae Asheville. Well, we almost made it to the third if it hadn't snowed so much. So, the first one we went to, um, and it was small and, you know, I think not as well advertised as it could have been, but respectable. Mm -hmm. The second one was supposedly much better, although it conflicted with the Breeders' Expo in Daytona, and you had a number of items in the Global Creations art show there. 
So we went down for that and acquired a, a custom gecko in auction. And oh, that wasn't all we acquired. What's that? That wasn't all we acquired. We got some upper geckos too. Well, sure. And the third one was scheduled for this winter and didn't happen uh, due to snow. And it was a funny story. It was the night before and they hadn't actually canceled it. But apparently we were the only vendors who had not canceled. So I'm messaging back and forth with the vendor coordinator on Facebook saying, hey, so we were only planning on bringing art. Is this actually going to happen? Do we need to, you know, bring, you know, some animals just to have a reptile petting zoo or something? Uh, because we can, it, but we're not selling them. Our techo would have been very sleepy. Yeah, it <laughs> he was... He was roommating. Here, pet the sleeping Tegu. <laughs> Everyone else doing okay, I mean... Yeah, no, I mean... The, the stepbrothers were in the CRISPR. We wouldn't have brought them anyway, though. No, they would not have enjoyed that. They, they do not want to be educational animals. That would have been a terrible idea. <laughs> Fortunately, it did get cancelled at some point that evening, and... And we did not have to have the saddest petting zoo ever. So after two weekends with reptile shows in a row, we decided to take this past weekend off and... Go to a reptile show. But we, but we didn't have a table. No, no, we just went to one. We were only there for like an hour or so, so it, not, not that big a deal. We went to the zoo mostly. Mm -hmm. And we don't have anything else scheduled between... No, in Daytona. Yeah, that's late August. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a table there either, but you will be in the art show then. Yeah. So I will have a table in the art show, uh, which is across from the vendors on the other side by the hot dog stand. Behind the hot dog stand, really. No, it's not. Be it's tucked it's, into the back corner of the it's convention center. It's a very nice center. location. It's just, it's like right by the food. Past the food. But you can see it from the food. Sure. It's definitely visible from the back of the... You can definitely see it. So it are it's you, great graphic. Yeah. So are you working on anything particular for it? I am. Um, I'm doing a bunch of turtle magnets. Uh, Do you like have, how I asked that as if I didn't know the answer? Yep. So I have a bunch of turtle magnets, uh, like the Diamondback Terrapin um, that I just finished, uh, working on uh, an alligator snapping turtle, and hopefully I'll get a Easter box turtle done. I'm doing some human-headed snake-type things, uh, as sort of like more, more fine of art. a yeah, fine table art. Yeah, I've seen those uh, starting to get roughed out. They look cool. Yeah, we'll see if uh, they all work out. To see if they fit in the kiln. I didn't <laughs> measure that beforehand. Ah, uh, planning. Planning is always a good idea. It's not as bad as the kitty pool incident. We don't talk about the kitty pool incident. Okay. Are you sure you don't want to talk about the kitty pool incident? Let's just say that the kitty pool incident included how much sand? Oh, at least 300 pounds. That was rendered solid? That was rendered solid. So basically, you made some boulders. He made the landlord very, very unhappy. And somewhat confused. Extremely confused. It's just like, what the hell are these? Why are they in the basement? How do I remove them? 
And we said, we don't know if we knew we would have done it. <laughs> no, he, we did actually, like, they got them out of the basement. With... And the week after Daytona is Repticon Greenville, uh, which I think we're going to be maybe attending as part of our herb club, or yeah, we might have a table. The herb club is, is doing a larger than usual event there, so I think we're going to attend as part of the herb club. Possibly have some of the stuff from Daytona available, uh, depending upon how many tables they get. Now I guess this could change if now we're not going to get a bunch of animals before then. No, no. I mean, there might be a couple of leopard geckos, but I, I don't know that we'll be ready at that point. Yeah. So I think probably the next uh, show that we're going to have a significant number of animals at would be the next Columbia show. Probably, yes. I will certainly have a lot of magnets available. Doing a big push of magnets for Daytona. You want to describe what your magnets are like? Because people who are listening can't see. That, that's fair. Generally, I'll do relatively detailed animal sculpt uh, with some really very powerful rare earth magnets on the back. Uh, they're cast in dry stone, which is this uh, stuff that they make dinner wear out of. You know, I have to paint them all to look like the animals. So. You do the sculpts, you cast them, you paint them, mm -hmm. you stick magnets on the back. Well, People I mean, put them on the refrigerator. Yeah, I, they're not just glued, like I, I work some epoxy, which is this two-part mic. You know, I'm talking too much about the technical details of how this works, aren't I? Usually. So, I think that's about it for today. Uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed episode one of Dreams in Dirt, and we'll tune in two weeks for episode two. If you would like to, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Dreams and Dirt. Imagine that. Uh, you can also visit our website at dreamsanddirt.com. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at dreamsanddirt at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.